G'day Dave here and we're back on Zoom uh, or maybe you're watching the YouTube of this uh, from our website but here we are looking at the Word of God again using this incredible technology that God has given to us and we thank him for that. I mean how good is it to still be able to encourage each other and listen to God's Word being read and being taught uh, when we can't be together physically. I mean, I, I think it's something we need to thank God for. But how about we pray that God will be encouraging us and challenging, even rebuking us, if he needs to do that to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll speak to us through your word. Please speak to our hearts and our minds. And by your spirit, enable us to trust you and to change where we need to change. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a, a chapter which in some ways resonates with me because I'm one who learns the hard way, at least in some areas of life. I can tell you that I've learnt the hard way when it comes to electricity. Uh, being about five or six years of age, unscrewing the bulb in my bed lamp, putting my finger into the socket, discovering that my arm would hurt. It would go black from bruising and would take some time to heal. Well, later when I was 12 and I watched my father mowing the lawn and then he'd put his hand down somewhere underneath to turn it off afterwards. And putting my hand down and feeling a button there and grabbing hold of that button, you might call it a spark plug, and discovering that it's actually very hard to let go of a spark plug when the engine is still running. You'd think that I'd grow up, I leave home at 17, I'm off at university, living in a residential college. There's a problem with the power in the common room uh, where we're living and I get the caretaker to come in he says so show me the problem so I grab the wire and get thrown across the room now I think I need to wise up uh, interesting those wiser ads on tv couldn't work out what they're about but they do resonate I need to get wiser when it comes to electricity and I've learned get an electrician that's my lesson now some of you can relate to that because you're also people who learn the slow hard difficult way well, Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. He had to learn about God the hard way. Uh, we've seen it already in this book of Daniel, and we'll see it again today. In chapter 4, there's a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar has to learn that will bring him back to God. Now, I think that's quite a valuable lesson to be learning. And some of you have actually learned that lesson. I know that God has worked in you through some really hard circumstances to bring you to himself might be through a marriage breakup. It might be through a, a, a heart attack or a cancer diagnosis or through alcoholism and rehab. There's all kinds of things that have gone on, really heavy things in people's lives that have led them to, re, to dropping their pride and turning to God in humility and asking for help and turning to Jesus. And that's a great outcome. Now, this is a story about Nebuchadnezzar learning the hard way. And uh, I want to recap the story quickly with you. Uh, we're not going to look at every detail, but it would help for you to have a Bible open. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is pretty happy. He's uh, quite cruisy, verse 4. He's at home in his palace. He's contented and he's prosperous. And he's just been saying in verses 1 to 3 how good the Most High God is. Not is he only sovereign over all things, but he's actually done good for me, Nebuchadnezzar's saying. And uh, I think he's been learning some lessons along the way, but he hasn't learned it all yet. Because when you go down a little bit further into verse 8, you'll notice that he speaks of Daniel calling him Belteshazzar after the name of one of Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And, uh, and he recognizes that Daniel has the spirit of the holy gods, plural gods, in him. That is, 
Nebuchadnezzar, he's not really a follower of the God of Israel. He is one who recognizes that he's pretty good God in his whole kind of uh, box of gods. And maybe he's even one of the better ones, if not the best. But he's still worshipping all kinds of different gods. But a bigger problem, really, is that Nebuchadnezzar is fundamentally worshipping himself. And one of the things that we see in this chapter is he's all about me. He's all about himself and what he has achieved. And we see here that Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar through interpreting the dream that God has given him, that if he doesn't humble himself before God, God is going to bring judgment upon him. And you get this image of a great tree, uh, which has incredible power and influence, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. But a messenger comes and says that tree is going to be cut down, and there'll still be a stump that's in the ground. It's not going to totally destroy this tree. Nebuchadnezzar will survive. But then you see the picture of this one being a human being who's going to live like an animal for seven times or seven years. And that dream is about Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Daniel very bravely kind of interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we need to realize, is a man of extraordinary power and wealth and achievement. Um, He's able to look out at this incredible kingdom. He's able to look out his palace Uh, the city of Babylon. He is responsible, after all, for one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He's a ruler of the most powerful empire with the most extraordinary wealth, who at his command can do or, or get anything that he wants. And so here is a man who's got everything, it seems. And as we hear about him in this chapter, he's full of himself. Uh, He's talking about I, 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 my, my, my. There's no thought here to others. And there's no thought here, uh, it seems, to God himself and submitting himself and humbling himself before God. And that's a problem. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn the hard way. and, And God is merciful to him. And he warns him that he needs to repent through Daniel. And so if you look down at verse 27, Therefore, your majesty... Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. So here's the warning. God is giving a dream that Daniel interprets to Nebuchadnezzar as a merciful warning that if he turns back to God, it still might go well for him. And how does he need to turn back to God? Well, he needs to recognize that God is God and he needs to do what's right. And he needs to start caring for the oppressed, to take notice of those around about him who are in need. But we see very quickly that he fails to do this because 12 months later, uh, verse 29, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty. Now, you can just kind of cringe, can't you, at at the narcissism of this guy. He is full of himself. He's no thought here to the poor. There's no thought here to God. And God has a lesson for him. And no sooner is he saying these things than God strikes him down. And you see him driven away from the people. He's living with the wild animals. He's eating grass like an ox. Um, His hair grows long like feathers of an eagle. His nails grow long like the claws of of a bird. 
And so he's brought under God's judgment. He learns the hard way. Now, it is a lesson because you see the outcome at the end of this chapter is that he's restored. God brings him to the point of humility and he recognizes again that God is the God over all. Uh, he turns back to God, recognizing his dominion over all dominions and over him as the king. That is, God is the king of kings, king over him. And he turns back to God. And then these great words at the end of the chapter, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He learns the lesson, but he learns it the hard way, seriously the hard way. And we see in his final statement here in verse 37 that the heart of the problem is actually the problem of his heart. It's not just having a lot of wealth. That's not the problem. It's not just being a king of a mighty kingdom. That's not the problem. It's not just having built gardens and cities and all kinds of incredible achievements. No, the problem is the problem of the heart, those who walk in pride. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And that's him owning up to his own failure before God and acknowledging that God is able to humble the proud. And he does that. Now, he noticed, noticed that he does that for Nebuchadnezzar for his sake and for God's glory. Nebuchadnezzar moves from being one who is all about I, 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 my, 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 who doesn't love God with his whole heart, who doesn't care about his neighbor as himself. Rather, he's living in pride and the danger of pride, this insidious, dangerous sin, is a lesson for us all. Now, when you look at a chapter like uh, Daniel 4, there's probably a question as to who do we resonate with in the chapter? And we are kind of uh, taught to resonate with the heroes in stories, I think. As we watch movies, we read novels, we kind of find ourselves really attracted to the hero in the story. And, and I guess as you read through a book of Daniel, Daniel is a very attractive person and we can tend to relate to him. But in this story, I think that would be a mistake. Because this isn't a chapter ultimately about Daniel. Daniel is merely the voice of God. And the message is a message fundamentally to Nebuchadnezzar, but it's about things that are true of you and me. And so the one that we need to relate to in this chapter really is King Nebuchadnezzar. We might not have the wealth of Nebuchadnezzar, the power or the achievements, but we have the same heart problem. And that is the problem of pride. And so there is a little bit of Nebuchadnezzar in each of us. See, we might not have the same power or influence, the same wealth or belongings, the same money or careers or degrees or achievements, our investments, our freedoms and so on. They might not be the same, but what we have, we believe, is ours. We have the same problem of I, 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 my, my, my. This is about me. We think of our homes as what we've earned, what we've built, our gardens as, as our creation. We think about our bank accounts as what we've put aside. We think about our study as what we've done and our careers as what we deserve. We can even think about family in this light. We can think about all kinds of things without any reference to God and sometimes without any reference to others as well. And that is the problem of pride. Nebuchadnezzar gets converted, literally. 
he, he's transformed. He's reminded that he is not God, that he deserves nothing, that it's all of grace, that what he has is not because he deserves it. It's not simply his because he's done it or because he's powerful or because he's wealthy. It is his because of God's kindness to him, because of God's grace. And friends, we need to learn the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar. We need to learn it before it's too late. See, our pride is just as dangerous as Nebuchadnezzar's. And maybe we don't think about it terribly much because the, the thing about pride is that it's veiled because it's all about me. And as I'm thinking about myself, I'm not thinking that there's a problem with that. But there's a massive problem because we don't live as an island in this world there is a God, and our God is king. He's the sovereign ruler over all. And remarkably, as we see it in this chapter, not only is he the ruler over all things, but he cares for each one of his people. And he cares for you, and he cares for me. And we need to realize the danger of pride when it comes to God. We, we tend to think that things are mine, that, that, that I deserve this, that I've earned this, that I've created this, that God can't have it. That maybe perhaps we'll give God a little bit, you know, we'll give him a bit of our time, we'll give him a bit of our money, we'll give him a bit of our interest, we'll, we'll kind of balance out our life so that there's a bit of God and there's a bit of recreation, there's a bit of work and there's a bit of family and there's a bit of fun, but God is just a God of the bits and God won't be a God of our bits. Now God is either God over all or he's not God to us at all. He's just a means to an end. He's just a servant to satisfy our own desires. And we need to see that God is merciful to Nebuchadnezzar by giving him time and teaching him a lesson. And the lesson that he learns is humiliating. He's actually made from the king overall to be one of the wild animals eating grass like an ox. God takes him from being the one who's ruling over the creation to one who's ruled over in the creation. We need to learn before it's too late, friends. And it might not be that we will be taught by God through losing our mind and, and going out into the, the bush and, and eating grass. No, it probably won't be like that. But we need to learn the lesson nonetheless, and it could be worse. So this account in Daniel chapter 4 reminds me of another account in the New Testament. And, and I wonder whether Jesus even had Daniel chapter 4 in mind as he tells this story. And I'll pick it up with you. It's from Luke chapter 12. And, and there's, a, there's an argument going on from people in the crowd about who deserves what. And there's a guy who wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him half the inheritance. And how often do we see squabbles over the inheritance? But Jesus said to this man in Luke chapter 12 and verse 14, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. I want you to listen to this carefully. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, here's a guy who's got everything. He's got a huge return on his investment. And so what does he do? He actually strategizes to how to keep it all for himself. And so this is what he says. Verse 18, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, this guy sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. He's looking at all that he's created. He's looking at all of his achievements. He's looking at his extraordinary wealth. And who can touch him? And then we come back to the story that, that Jesus is telling. But to this man, God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. See, this story that Jesus tells, it's so much like Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, it's all about me. I, 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 my, my, my. Listen to this. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. And God says, you fool. You see, the similarity here, it's getting closer to you and to me, isn't it? Is life all about me? Is it all about I? Is what surrounds you, do you feel that you deserve that? That it belongs to you, that you're entitled to what you have, that your life is yours, that your belongings are yours, that your family is yours, that your money is yours, that your achievements are yours? Well, God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Friends, here's the lesson for us. You, your life, your belongings, your achievements, everything about you belongs to God. See, for this man, he didn't recognize and didn't acknowledge the fact that God had given him the opportunity. God had provided the rain. God gave the fertile soil. God meant people. God created people that would support this guy. But he didn't give any acknowledgement to God. It was all about me. He doesn't care for the people around him. Presumably they were poor as they were in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't acknowledge anyone other than himself. And this is the heart of pride. And pride is a part of each and every one of us. In fact, pride is actually the very foundation of so much of our sin. It's dangerous. And we need to pray that God will humble us. But think about that for a minute. Because if you're going to pray that God will make you humble, then what do you expect might happen? And I found myself praying often that God would make me humble. But I put a little caveat I say things like, dear God, please make me humble, but don't humiliate me. You see, for Nebuchadnezzar, God humbled him by humiliating him, by causing him to live like a wild animal. For seven years, the king becomes nothing. He becomes insane. He's, he's a crazy man, despised by all before he's restored. I don't want that. And I think in, in my life, God has humbled me in many ways for a big one is sickness humbled me through various sicknesses over the years i used to suffer from from regular dizziness a kind of vertigo labyrinthitis sort of thing which on one occasion left me unable to actually stand up without my head spinning for weeks on end and, and then of course 
the last 10 years have, have been living with a, a terminal cancer diagnosis and then celiac disease and then other things that kind of come in along the way. And I might tend to think that I've been humbled by God and I think that I have. But the problem of, of humility and the, the problem of, of pride is very insidious because there have been times when I've found that I've actually become proud of being humbled. Hey, I'm the guy that God humbled by giving him uh, all of these tough things to live through. Well, friends, I want to encourage us to be humble before God, to ask God to humble us and, and to ask him, sure, not to humiliate us, but to teach us the lesson that we are not God. And for me, it was sickness. For you, it might be something else. But ultimately, the only real answer, the only solution to learning humility is, and here's the classic Bible answer, to look to Jesus. Because you see, when you look to Jesus and you ask the question, why is he dying on the cross? Why is he dying? It's not because of anything that Jesus has done or anything that he deserves. There's one very clear reason why Jesus is dying on the cross. And that is because I'm an arrogant and proud man. And I've put myself first and I've let God take second stage. And for that, I need forgiveness. And God in humility takes that sin upon himself in Christ and pays the price. You want to see what humility looks like? Then look at Jesus. And you want to see how bad your pride is? Then look to Jesus. But if you want to find hope, then you can find hope. You can find hope, a hope of being forgiven and being restored into humility before God through Christ. You see, Jesus is the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He doesn't know it. But the, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, where we see the one who is willing to humble himself for our sakes, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. Humble himself for our sakes. The one who is God, becoming a human, taking on the form of a servant, to the point of death, even death on a cross for our sake. That is, Jesus dies for you and for me. There's humility. It reminds us of how bad we have been, how much a problem our pride is, but it gives us hope. Because as God restores Christ to the place in authority overall, so he lifts up those who trust in Christ. And he will give us a wonderful eternity united with Christ. And we start to experience that here and now. But we must humble ourselves before God. Augustine, St. Augustine in the 4th century, said that the ways of God are first of all humility, they are secondly humility, and they are thirdly humility. See, God is the God who will humble the proud, but God is the God who shows us what humility is really like in Jesus. And when we are too full of ourselves, let's pray that God will lift our eyes to Jesus so that we can be freed up from focusing on ourselves as number one and live the life that God has called us to live, being generous with ourselves, our time, our money, our gifts, with our homes, with our belongings, with everything about us, because they're not there for me. They are there for God, and ultimately you are there for God. So turn back to him.